Hello, and welcome back to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, on average, in the U.S., nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner. During one year, this comes out to more than 10 million women and men. How does this relate to healthcare, and what can you do if you're in that situation or have a loved one in an abusive relationship? Here to help us understand is Dr. Pravanshi Alag. She is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry and an addiction psychiatrist. Dr. Alag, welcome back to our podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you so much, Melissa, for having me back here. Can you tell us again a little bit about yourself? For sure. I am an addiction psychiatrist at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I do treat patients with mental health problems. The additional thing which I also do and is really important to my work is treating patients who have addiction problems, which is including substances, that is drugs, alcohol, sex, food, and, and kind of not only just diagnose, but also help with the treatment part of it. But you're here today to talk to us about domestic violence. Absolutely, which is a really big part as well. A lot of us, a lot of the patients that we see actually self-medicate themselves with substances and have a lot of mental health concerns because of all the trauma that they've gone through, which is a big chunk, is the domestic violence. Now, help educate us and our listeners. What is domestic violence or intimate partner abuse and what should we know? Because so many of us have a tendency to blame the victim. Domestic violence is actually a pattern of controlling behavior that is pervasive, life-threatening crime, kind of affecting people in all our communities, regardless of their gender, age, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, religion, social standing, and immigration status. Victim blaming is a very common phenomenon. It is actually a psychological phenomenon that kind of tends to lay the blame on the victim. It it involves attributing other people's behavior to internal personal characteristics versus kind of what people do is ignore the uh, the external forces and variables that also might have played a significant role. And there are various risk factors which kind of predispose an individual to be a victim of domestic abuse. The first one being individual factors. So, you know, young age, like less than 24, high-risk sexual behavior. If people have had a prior history of domestic violence or intimate partner violence, if they've witnessed or experienced violence as a child, less educated, unemployed, history of depression or any other chronic mental illness. The next set of factors could be the relationship factors, wherein partners with income, job, educational disparities might might experience that, or excessive jealousy or even possessive behavior. And one of the third categories that we look at is the community factors, which is poverty and associated factors like overcrowding, weak community sanctions against intimate partner violence or domestic violence, a kind of police not willing to intervene. Traditional gender norms like females kind of should stay back home and be more submissive. Yeah, that's what I would say. So 
one of the questions I think people ask themselves is, why doesn't she just leave? What would you say to them? Yeah, that, that's definitely something which most of us out there would think that if, if one could just leave the place and go and be at a different place. But, you know, people on the outside may wonder why they can't leave. But people who are in abusive or violent relationships, they have a very complex dynamic that makes it very difficult for them to get away from the person who's abusing them. One is that they always believe, the victim will always believe that the partner will change. The other reason is that the abuser may actually be threatening to harm themselves or uh, harm the victim if they leave the relationship. So the fear kind of makes it really hard for them to be able to leave. The partner who's abusive can also kind of make it really difficult for the partner to leave because they tend to isolate that person from their friends and families. And they also track their activities and of their abouts, which is really sad. And some people might have financial difficulties or even for the sake of children is another big reason that people kind of refrain from leaving their violent partners. I, I guess I might have alluded to this in my second question, but we always assume that the victim is female or that the person is weak-minded. Is that, is that always the case? Now, the assumption that females are always the victim is actually not true. There's certain groups that are at greater risk, and females are one of them for sure. But there is evidence that males can also be victims of intimate partner violence or domestic violence, but they're actually less likely to seek help for their victimization than female victims. So in a nutshell, I would say the domestic violence or intimate partner violence can affect people of all cultures, races, income levels, religion. It could be either the male or the female. Is abuse always violent? Domestic abuse almost always appears to people to be consistent with violence, which is actually not the case. There are actually three main types of domestic violence or intimate partner violence. One is psychological, physical, and sexual. So the psychological violence includes intentional insults and humiliation to a partner. It is basically the act of using threats or intimidation to kind of instill fear in a partner. Physical violence is you're intentionally using physical force like shaking, slapping, punching, burning with the potential to cause harm, injury, disability, or even death. And the third one is sexual violence, which is basically forcing to compel someone into a sexual act. The sexual act is with the person who's unable to either consent or it's an abusive sexual contact. What would an environment like that do to any children that are present? So exposure to this kind of violence has both short and long-term effects on a child's emotional, social, and cognitive development. So, you know, depending on their age, some of the short-term effects that children may exhibit are, are different. So if it's a child of preschool age, they may actually start doing things that they used to do as when they were younger. So kind of bedwetting, thumb sucking, increased crying sleep difficulties, stuttering, and kind of showing signs of severe separation anxiety. Some of the school-age children might have this feeling of guilt, and they tend to kind of blame themselves for the abuse that takes place at home. And they may not also participate in school activities or might be getting low grades at school. 
And then in terms of the teenagers, it affects them in negative ways by fighting with family members or skipping school or engaging in risky behaviors like having unprotected sex, using drugs or alcohol. Some of the long-term effects would include mental health conditions, depression, anxiety, and even more. They may also suffer from, you know, some of the chronic stressors can lead to diabetes, obesity, heart disease, and even poor self-esteem, which kind of impacts their confidence. Is there any way that we can help? Yeah, absolutely. By helping them, you know, feel safe would be really one of the important things. Talking to them about their fears, healthy relationships and boundaries. And then it'll be it's important to kind of help them find a very reliable support system and getting them connected to counseling. One another way is actually introducing support groups to these kids at a very younger age where you know they can go and feel like they're not alone in this process and that their experiences can be talked about in a very non-judgmental way. What can you tell us about the cycle of violence and is there a way to break it? Sure. So there are actually four stages of violence. The stage one is known as a tension building stage. So abusive partners, they begin to kind of experience stress from issues like family conflict or there would be work problems. That kind of leads to feelings of frustration and that starts to build up within them and the person feels very angry and powerless. So the victim, on the other hand, would actually recognize the distress and becomes anxious and takes steps to reduce the tension. The second phase is the abuse stage. The abuse partner, the abusive partner engages in abusive acts like physical attacks, sexual violence, threats to harm the partner or name calling. The phase three or the stage three is the reconciliation stage, which is also referred to as the honeymoon stage. So following the incident of abuse, the abuser actually tends to reconcile. They may offer like gifts or, you know, use loving gestures to kind of settle down the situation. And then the last stage is the calm stage where the abuser may kind of make various excuses for the behavior or blame someone else while promising to never act in an abusive manner again. And unfortunately, the tension builds in again and the cycle continues. The cycle of violence can be broken. It's it's easier said than done. But, you know, the way it can be done is that the victim should feel safe. First, just kind of acknowledging the abuse is really important, which is one of the hardest steps for people who, who experience abuse. So rather than kind of rationalizing or accusing the behavior of the abuser, you know, understand the intentional behavior that hurts you physically, emotionally and mentally. Uh, kind of get some support, you know, kind of looking for some rehab centers that are great places to find and people kind of in there who have similar issues. It's important for kind of work, for them to work on their on their self-esteem and kind of rebuilding their confidence by forming relationship with others, which are built on mutual trust and respect and kind of changing response by breaking free from an abuser by kind of refusing to give the other person, the power to affect them. And I would say all these actions require immense courage. Like I said, it's really easy to say than for someone to do it who's going through it. Because in the way people frequently blame victims, victims sadly do blame themselves as well. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? 
Yeah, I would say with anyone who is um, experiencing any of these should actually go out and seek help. A lot of them would actually experience a lot of mental health issues, like I mentioned, depression, anxiety. And uh, we are here in the community to help all our patients in any which way they would like us to, is what I would like to say to my listeners out there. Well, thank you for all this great information and for educating us. And we really, really hope to have you on again soon. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susana Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, and me, Melissa Whitfield.